0: Well, this is one of my particular privileges to be here. Um, I go way back with your pastor, Peter, uh, back to when he was in college, and I was a new youth pastor at a church in Glendora, California, and he came in as one of our interns, and um, I knew from the time that Peter started working with us that he was a really special person, And so it is a joy to be at a church that he's leading as the senior pastor, and um, I just think you guys are a very blessed congregation to have a wonderful pastor in Peter. (laughs) So it's always fun to come back and see where we end up. Um, I think I was a kid when he was a kid, too, and um, he's younger than me, though, so won't age him as much as me. But... um, Yeah, so I work with students. Um, I worked as a youth pastor for uh, about five years, and then I went to Fuller Seminary, and I worked with people preparing for ministry. And I was the director of chapel at Fuller for five years. And now I'm at Azusa Pacific University, where I work with a program um, for students who are preparing for ministry vocations. So I spend a lot of time talking with students about what God is calling them to And so, as we dive into the book of Philippians this morning, one of the things that's on my mind is just that we're starting a new school year in the rhythm of the fall coming in. We've been through a lot in the past few years. It's been tough. We taught online at APU for 15 months, and we finally returned to the classroom and thought that would be wonderful, and then it was tough. It's like everybody had to adjust back to being around each other. And so I've been wrestling with this question over the past few months, what matters most? And so I want to look at the book of Philippians and read this text and then kind of wrestle with this question. So would you join me as I read Philippians chapter 3 and it says this. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh. I have more, this is Paul talking, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Matt Emmons had the gold medal in sight. He was one shot away from claiming victory in the 2004 Olympic 50-meter three-position rifle event. He didn't even need a bullseye to win. His final shot just needed to hit the target. And normally, any shot he would make would receive a score of 8.1, which was more than enough for him to win the gold medal. But, in what was described as an extremely rare mistake in elite competition, Emmons fired at the wrong target. So standing in lane two, he fired at the target in in lane three, and his score for a good shot at the wrong target was zero. Instead of a medal, Emmons ended up in eighth place in the Olympics that year. And I think what we can learn from this story itself is that it doesn't matter how accurate you are if you are aiming at the wrong goal. So, as we consider our Christian lives, as we think about our individual lives and our community life, our church life, My question is, what matters most? As we live out our day-to-day, what goals are we aiming at? And this is really what the Apostle Paul is asking in this text. He's kind of painting a picture for us. And really, these have been... This has really been the question I've been wrestling with through COVID, through the redrawing of political lines, through the redrawing of racial lines. What is it that matters most? A little about me, I not only work at APU, but I also attended APU as an undergraduate student. So I have a long history there. And as APU students, we were required to attend chapel three times a week which felt like a lot when I was a student. So over the course of my time there, I heard so many sermons, dozens and dozens from very prominent preachers at the time. But I really only remember one of the sermons from my entire undergrad time. It was Pastor Evie Hill of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church He preached a sermon titled, Life's Darkest Hour. And I remember going to chapel that day and thinking, I already know what this guy's going to say. The title is Life's Darkest Hour. Duh, he's going to talk about all the hard times and how to navigate through pain and suffering. And so I already knew what he was going to say, so I didn't really even need to listen. But as he started preaching, I remember leaning in a little closer Because he started to describe life's darkest hour as the times where we feel so untouchable, so successful, so strong that we begin to think that we don't even need God. That was life's darkest hour when life is going our way and our dependency and our strength comes from us and not the Lord. It was really convicting To me that day, and it stuck with me throughout my life, especially in ministry. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with being powerful or successful or strong, but again, what is most important? What matters most? What I really like about this text is Paul, when he's talking, he understands what it means to aim at things like prestige and honor. Our passage begins with him kind of giving us some autobiographical data about himself where he mentions his achievements and his status in the Jewish tradition. In many cultures of the Mediterranean world, one's status was often determined by their honor. So some honor could be ascribed honor. That's status given to a person due to the reputation of their family or ancestry. It's about who they are born into, what their family is like. And there's very little that people can do to improve their ascribed honor. It's just something that they get because they're born into it. The other kind of honor is acquired honor, and a person could improve their social status by their achievements. Whether that was economic or academic, they could climb the ladder through an earned status that they worked for. And when Paul talks about himself, we begin to understand that he is actually of enviable status in both categories. He was born into a blue-blooded Jewish family. He, was, he describes himself as literally an eighth day one regarding circumcision, which was very prestigious. He is of the people of Israel, belongs to the tribe of Benjamin. He even says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. This means that for those who cared about a person's family or ancestry, there was no doubt that he was a pedigreed person. And as an Israelite, he was distinguished among the Gentiles or God-fearers. He was an insider. As for honors he acquired, Paul presents himself as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, this guy was pretty accomplished. Pharisees were known for their affection of the Torah, and observance of the law. And so Paul had previously persecuted Christians. So Paul took pride in his ethical blamelessness, according to which he had gained righteousness. He just had a pedigree. And in this text, there's this moment, much like the 2004 Olympics with Matt Emmons, where we find out that all of that honor is just aiming at the wrong thing. It's not the stuff that matters in this new kingdom that we're talking about. And Paul begins to unfold for us a picture of what does matter most. Paul states that he regards all all of this honor, all of that that he was born into, everything that he earned as loss and even garbage. And I like this text especially since I've worked with students because literally, you can translate it as dung or poop, but people in church don't like to say those words from the pulpit. So we just say garbage and loss. But it's a, very, it's a very descriptive word of how much he disregards this. This was crazy talk. This went against all the thinking of the ancient Mediterranean world. And really, honestly, it kind of goes against the way we think too. But what he's saying here is all the honor in the world pales in comparison to the overwhelming power of knowing Christ. In a world where we feel like we have everything right at our fingertips and we kind of panic when we don't feel like we have that, in a world where we can push a button and have what we need in a moment, this is a very simple and yet profound truth. This text lays out for us in very plain and direct language that whatever gains we've had, whatever honor we have acquired, whatever has been ascribed to us, we can regard as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. There is nothing more valuable, more powerful, more life-changing, more honor-filled than knowing Christ. There's just absolutely nothing. In a world where the brokenness of humanity is headline news, it seems like every few minutes, I often wonder, this, I pray this honestly, God, how should I, a minister on a college campus, speak into this world? Surely there is something new to say to These people, these young people who are growing up in this world. But as I reflect on this text and as I live my life, I realize that what the Lord is saying to us still is that the message has not changed. There is still nothing more powerful than knowing Christ, the power of the resurrected Christ still transforms this world. Each of us, regardless of our pedigree or achievements, are invited into this relationship with Christ. This is what we share in common. So may we be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from following a set of rules or seeking a particular level of prestige or honor, but one that comes through trusting in Christ. I love what the message translation of this text says. It says, I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. And Paul continues, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And in a world where we think that we have things pretty figured out, This is something that we need to hold on to. May we know Christ's resurrection power. May we understand that our works alone, our achievements alone will not heal the brokenness of this world. But there is power in Christ who even death could not hold him. We may not always live this out perfectly. Paul, too, admits in the text, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but he finds himself on the way. But that is not a problem because the old order of honor and achievements no longer matter. Paul was bringing a new vision to his tradition, which I think is an opportunity that we have He says, not that I have already obtained this, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I pressed on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. May we be people who begin to bring new vision to our traditions. I have a friend who's a trail runner, um, she's one of those unusual people who likes to run long stretches of distance. <laughs> um, a few years ago, she was training for a 100-mile race through the Utah wilderness, <laughs> which blew my mind. But about seven weeks before um, her race during one of her training runs, she had a terrible fall. She fell and she dislocated her elbow and did something to the top part of her arm and she needed lots of stitches. She spent the night in the hospital and was in very bad shape. And we all thought that this was the end of her aspirations to run this 100 mile race. Um, But we continued to follow her and my group of friends and noticed that In her social media post, she was starting to go through this grueling physical therapy to stretch her arm back into place, which sounds terrible. And a couple of weeks later, she was back on the trails running with her arm in a splint. Um, She's so much stronger than I am. (laughs) Um, But on the day she was set to do the race, she posted a video of a race she actually did end up running. But I thought her video was so profound because she showed the final stretch of this 100 miles. And um, in her post, she talks about the experience. And she ran a lot slower than she had originally expected. At one point, she actually had to stop and rest her body. And then she got back up again. And she crossed the finish line while crying with painful shin splits that she had that made it almost impossible for her to run, but she did the last 10 miles with these shin splits. And then she still had the pain in her arms, so... <laughs> but with tears running down her face, she finished this race. So maybe it wasn't the race that she thought it would be. It was definitely not as pretty as she thought it would be. But she had this goal in mind that she would keep going and she never gave up on that race. Today's scripture is a word of encouragement for us that in the midst of trials and in the midst of pain, in the face of unexplainable brokenness, we are not called to lean into our own power. We are called to lean into Christ, each one of us, We're called to be the people that God has created us to be, and we are not perfect, but we don't give up. So press on. There may be days or seasons that are more painful and difficult than others, but continue to press on. You may feel ill-equipped or broken or weak. Keep going. You may be in a season where you feel incredibly strong and powerful. Press on. Lean into the power of your Savior who loves you and who is calling you to press on. I'm reminded of the words of a hymn written by the great hymn writer Fanny Crosby. As a six-week-old baby, Fanny had an eye inflammation, and since... Her family physician was away. They brought in a substitute physician, and his treatment actually made her go permanently blind. Was she bitter? No. People talked to her a lot about it, and she said that at an early age, she resolved to leave all care to yesterday, and to believe that in the morning, the morning would bring forth its own particular joy. A well-meaning minister, which we often are, but sometimes we mess up, once told her that it was a pity that she didn't have her sight. And she responded to the minister with this. If at birth I had been able to make one petition to my creator, it would have been that I should be born blind. Why? asked the minister. And she replied, Because when I get to heaven, the first sight that shall ever gladden my eyes will be that of my Savior. So she wrote many hymns, but I think this one really stands out as she talks about seeing her Savior face to face, and she writes this. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see... I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. But the glad song of ages I shall mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. As we ponder this question of what matters most, may we not lose sight of the fact that what matters most is our relationship with Christ. And all other things come together under knowing that. So friends, may we press on. Would you join me in prayer? Holy God, I give you thanks for this congregation, for each person here. And I pray that wherever each person is on the journey, that you would continue your good work in them, that you would teach us to continue to trust you in the midst of all that life brings. I pray for the work of this congregation, that you would Bless their work as they focus on you. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to remind us to keep our eyes set on you and to press on. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.